Welcome to Baiyan, a podcast about the intersection between Taiwanese and American culture. I'm Joe. With me is Jack. Hello, I'm Jack. Anna. Hello. And Ryan. Hello. How's everybody doing? Good. good. <laughs> As usual. If there's that long of a pause before you say good, then that means bad. <laughs> no, it uh, just depends on which perspective. Yeah, for the weather perspective, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. How are you? Not the weather. Oh. <laughs> I'm good with the weather. <laughs> <laughs> that means you are bad. <laughs> no, I'm just tired. Uh, it's a long week. Yeah, but uh, yeah, now it's three days weekend, so yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, thank you coming. Yeah, yeah with the uh, sake festival this Sunday. Have you guys ever been before? No. Yes. Oh. oh. Uh, oh hi yes yes we've been to there for volunteer last year and it was fun but uh this year will be better because the regulation will be loose yeah so you guys worked there last time yeah uh, last year we kind of how to say that yeah De- volunteer deliver work the there with no pay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> we deliver the dishes yeah in uh, the some r- restaurant. Yeah, also wash the, the dishes. Yeah. Uh. You guys worked. It's <laughs> actual work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, it should be fun. I think there's going to be a lot of visitors, all different kinds of sake to make and drink. Have you guys ever been on a tour of any of the sake distilleries in that area? Mm, yes. Oh, really? What did you think? Yeah, I think it's quite uh, good. They have very long history of how to brew the, the Hongshu. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And what I took away from that was how important the water source is. Apparently, the reason that area makes such good sake and so much of it is because they have access to really high-quality water. Yeah. Do do you know many of Saijo's people, because they will provide the free waters out of their shop, Mm -hmm. so lots of Saijo's people, they will uh, bring a very big bottle and go there just to... They will drive their car uh, and bring like four big <laughs> bottles <laughs> to there in the midnight and bring bring all the water back home. Do you think it's actually like spring water? It's probably just city water. No, no, it's it's spring water. They have I, a they have a really spring famous water. spring up it's there. It's probably just city water out of that but tap. F- I think that they probably use yeah. spring water to make their sake. Uh-huh. I bet out of that tap, it would cost way too much to pump spring water. I bet it's just mm. city water. Please try this weekend. It's all uh, a shame. Oh, uh, but oh you, won't you, join. you cannot I won't join us. I don't drink alcohol. No. Not really. How about the water? For the sake water festival. The yeah. flavor is slightly different from tap water. So they I add a little minerals to make I you think maybe. it's special. <laughs> <laughs> you feel more smoothie. I would be really surprised if it's actually spring water. That's constantly pumping that long. I would be very surprised. Yeah, I th- I th- I I'm think, a skeptic. I think it is. I think that's what that area is famous for, and uh, it's a pretty productive spring. I don't know how much is used in the sake production, but yeah, that that's what it's known for. So I'm looking forward to trying the sake version. Now the, the situation become opposite. Ryan become the Japan hater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hating Japan. I'm hating capitalism. <laughs> this is capitalism. There's a lot of cases where they'll say special water, and it's just normal water that they add. Okay. There's, so a, there's a big famous case in Ashland, Oregon of this where they just add stuff to skeptical, the water. Skeptical, but still with some love. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy Saijo, uh, mm. but I think the water's a sham. Okay, mm. okay. <laughs> it's one of those things that um, they'll, they'll sell like a certain quality 
And it's just marketing, really. Like, if you start to look into, like, health foods or whatever, anything like that, they just put, you know, special nice words that make you think it's special, but really it's just the same stuff. As I saw your love is decreasing. <laughs> 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 Next week, we bring some water to, to you. Ah, yeah, you we'll, try. we'll, do, a, we'll do a direct taste hey, test. It's a blind test. Oh, there you okay, go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I know Hiroshima water. Okay. Mm. I mean, I think Japan has very high-quality drinking water. I mean... What yeah. about in in Taiwan? Do you guys drink out of the tap? No, no, no. no we cannot. You can't. Maybe it's our the tube. Maybe mm. it's too old. The pipes are too old. The, yeah, the pipe is yeah, too old. Yeah, the government say it's allowed, but nobody drink tap water. Really? Yeah. Because there is a smell, something. Oh. Uh, in America, it's dependent on the place. What about in St. Louis? St. Louis, we're really lucky. We have amazing tap water. And the story was that Anheuser Busch Brewery. Found it was less expensive to build their own water filtration plant than to fix the existing water infrastructure. So in my hometown, we have great tap water, but like where my mom lives, for example, Albuquerque, New Mexico, nobody drinks the tap water there. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the state. And there's a Flint, Michigan is really famous. Have you guys heard of Flint, Michigan? They've had like continual water problems where they just can't they can't take showers, they can't drink tap water, they have to get water flown in. It's like this huge citywide problem where the taps are just absolutely unusable, and like as you pour tap water, it's like brown colored. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So that there's places like that in Japan the today. That you can't J- drink the I mean, water. Literally anywhere you can drink the tap water in Japan. It's kind of amazing. Oh, uh, I have calculated that uh, in Japan the cost of water. I forget the exact number, but I remember it was one liter. Forty Japanese yen, yeah, and it's it's very cheap, mm. but uh, it's already four times higher than Taiwan's cost. Ah, so yeah. the infrastructure is not getting invested in. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's like you you look at uh, Japanese roads, like they're so nice compared to, I mean, America's all huge, so it's hard to really compare it. But like there are pot road, you know, potholes. What are potholes? Uh, yeah, you explained about this, to yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. So. That's why I like the infrastructure. Investing in infrastructure is good. Yeah. Before we but saw But I think Saijo's probably just normal water. <laughs> <laughs> they said the Saijo's water is the best in, like, one of the best in, one out of three of the best. <laughs> one of the top three. They'll never say the best. Oh, That's a okay. Japanese thing. It's yeah, always, one of the top three yeah. in Japan. They'll always say that. Yeah. Wow. And once you get that qualification, then people just start to come for that. Even if it's just normal water <laughs> from the tap. Okay. Okay. Next week, blind test. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. So I understand you have uh, something for us to talk about today, Jack. Yes, yes, yes. I want to talk about that is uh, recent news. They're saying that the uh, Bank of Japan is likely to end the negative uh, interest rate in early next year. Yeah. So what? Uh, what will it happen? Uh, if it happened, what will? What? How will it affect us? uh, Our Japanese yen will recover. (laughs) 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 So now now Japanese yen is getting cheaper. Now it's reaching to 150 per US dollar. Which is crazy. Yeah, which is crazy. When you arrive, Japan's... Maybe 130 this time? Oh, I see. Yeah, when I arrive, I remember it's 120. 119 to 120. But I remember when it was closer to 100, not that long ago. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So now it's reaching to 150, and it's because the BOJ, Bank of Japan, they insist 
not to increase the interest rate. And on the same time, America is uh, increasing sharply. So, so it's a what five percent? Yeah, five five point two five maybe. Yeah, so that's why I know economics. <laughs> that's why the Japanese yen is getting weaker and weaker. And uh, uh, for their uh, perspective, uh, they are watching closely to Japanese Japan's uh, inflation. So the target also is two percent. I think this year maybe can hit the target. Maybe the first year in thirty years. Yeah, and uh, they said if the goal is met, maybe they will consider to end the negative interest rate. Yeah, mm. so that's very uh, interesting to watching this kind of trend because they said that uh, in Japan every decade, the beginning of every decade they have this kind of uh, booming. Every time they will say, "Okay, this is the end. This is the end of the last ten year." And <laughs> 2020 was the the end of the last 20 years, and now it's yeah. Now people are saying that maybe this is the true end or just uh, a cycle. Yeah, we are not sure. But uh, if if it does, I think the J- Japanese the uh the the first is our our uh Japanese yen will recover, and second maybe the we can expect the inflation truly happen in Japan. Yeah, because uh, I think inflation is a uh, a phase about economy. Let's say inflation is is a uh, well self uh self recovered. Yeah, self regulate. Self regulate or self execute. If people believe inflation will come, then inflation will come, because mm. you will start to buying things. If you don't buy house today, next year it will become ex- expensive. If you don't buy like car house or anything the asset just going up but uh, in japan it's like the, the past 30 years people don't believe the the, the asset will go higher and also the even the for example the food the gudong is like 20 years or 30 years not not rising the the month the, the price so for japan they just cannot believe the inflation will come even the normal people, they will say, oh, this year is special. Maybe next year will recover. So I don't buy house this year. I didn't lose anything. Yeah. And uh, for America or other like Taiwan, Taiwan's market, it was like, you need to buy now or next year will be more expensive. Mm. You kind of, you, uh, you short the cash and uh, you loan the asset, whatever it is. Uh, no matter is stock or the house or the any bond, people just believe everything will become more expensive next year. Yeah, and for Japan, it will be very surprising if if this truly happen that Japan can like get rid of deflation and go into inflation. Yeah. What's your prediction? What do you think is going to happen? I. <laughs> <laughs> Economist, Economist Jack, what do you think? I, <laughs> Our I resident professional economist. <laughs> maybe it's it's just a cycle mm. because in isn't um, like isn't generally speaking because yeah. Japan's a very high export company uh-huh. or country, so they have video games, they have cars, they have huge uh, foreign markets. Isn't a weak yen generally good for the economy in 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the returns on foreign sales are so much higher. Yeah, they have a calculation that each one yen decrease, for example, one forty nine to one fifty, uh, versus one US dollar, Toyota's revenue can rise five percent. Five percent. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. But uh, that is for export. Mm. Uh, uh, if we're talking about the uh, import, uh, the the gas. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the other side of the coin. Yeah, the, it's it's super painful. Yeah, so it kind of hurts the people. Yeah, and benefits the corporations. Yes, yes. yes. Down with inflation. Or <laughs> <laughs> down with down with the weekend. We need to give power yeah. to the people. I'm I'm okay with the weekend. Oh my God, he's an American. This yeah. bastard. <laughs> it's been really nice living here with the weekend, and I and I kind of appreciate the Japanese mentality when it comes to prices, like. When these companies who haven't raised the prices of their products in 20 years finally make a small increase, their CEO will appear on television and apologize <laughs> and make a big speech about how sorry he is and bow. Uh, I think it's amazing. Like in America, companies take every opportunity they can to price gouge. They're constantly driving their prices up and they never make any apology for it. Yes. I think that's also a, a, another perspective that people talking about inflation is saying that 2% is good. It's maybe the best, but uh, if we're talking about Japan, it's become because the deflation already happened for decades, so it become a low desire society. Mm. And uh, somehow I think Japan is more focused on their life more than Taiwanese do. Taiwanese more focused on the future, always talking about oh in this stock I can earn how much, <laughs> and mm. in this project how much I can earn, but they they don't. We don't truly focus on the life, uh, like my hobby or uh, today or tomorrow's uh, the dinner with my family. Yeah, I think yeah somehow the low desire society has their pros. Yeah. yeah, it's true. They're really big on saving and not you know necessarily huge on consumption. I mean, there are some things that they consume here in Japan, seafood being at the top of the list. Yeah. But when it comes to a lot of other categories. They don't consume nearly as much here as we do in a lot of other countries. And that goes back to their history, you know. They've always been a pretty frugal people, the Japanese. Um, so, yeah, it's very different from the rest of the world, especially where I come from. Mm. Mm. Joe, do you... I'm looking for the number, but the uh, the amount of savings that people are sitting on in Japan is, mm. like, astronomically Huge. high. It's Compared like $70 trillion dollars or something like that. Yeah. Like a re I mean, like, the GDP of some company's worth of savings mm. is sitting in just saving accounts in Japanese <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's become dead money. That's, that's like insane because every uh, society that like people have experienced, if the government start to pumping money into the society, the inflation goes crazy. But no matter how much uh, Japanese government punch in, <laughs> into the, 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 their society, it's just going to bank and deposit. <laughs> yeah, that's become, right. Become dead money. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, single people in Japan have an average of uh, oh wow, fifty five, seven point three five million yen, fifty five hundred dollars. Single people have Whoa. that average. Whoa. That's not me. What happened? I seventy five million. I don't have that much. You need to be more Japanese and stop buy, stop buying guitars. These, are, these people in their twenties. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's insane. Yeah, and I I experience a lot with my wife. She's huge on savings. She always wants to have all these different bank accounts all these different um, investment plans. She wants to save everything, which, you know, it, yeah. uh, it's, it's a good way to live, generally. Yeah. And also, also in our company, 
every every foreign people are buying things. They buy new cars, new house, no matter what it is, and uh, how expensive. Because for foreigner, the the car in Japan is cheap. The house in Japan also cheap compared to the Asia countries. Yeah, yeah. But the for but the local people, the Japanese people, no matter what position, how high salary they have, they're still renting house, renting house, and driving a very old car. Yeah, yeah, I I have no interest in car until I saw how cheap they are, and I was like, oh, that's a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> like a car payment for a new car in America is like three, four hundred dollars. I mean, it was, and it's a brand new, like nice little Daihatsu. For a hundred bucks a month, I was just mm-hmm. like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, so I think I, I, for me personal, I still cannot believe Japan will back to inflation because uh, just they don't believe. So I don't believe. <laughs> mm, but be all of our friends, cultural change. Mm, mm. Yeah, mm. all of our friends now recently is buying a house and. Your friend are foreigner. Yeah. Okay. So it's mm. up to foreigners to <laughs> economy. But foreigners, open your arms, Japan. Foreigners <laughs> will spend money in my economy. Minority in Japan. Yeah. Mm. Inside Joe, I heard is four percent of the population. Mm. That's actually higher than the national average by yeah. a whole percentage. Yeah, they say the average is two percent. Mm. Two point nine. Whoa. I think. Whoa. Oh. That was old old statistics though. Look up the new ones. But it was at two point nine whenever yeah. I first came So in that kind of ratio, I think it's difficult to like rise all the markets but I think that number is just going to increase as time goes along Mm. you know especially because the negative birth rate here Japan needs you know people to move from the outside so I think they're going to at some point especially start to motivate that in the healthcare and elderly care industry you see that a lot I've seen like nurses classes walking on the street and a lot of people from the Philippines a lot of people from Southeast Asia it's already starting, especially in those industries like elderly care, where there's such a big demand. Truck driving, it's a big one as well next mm-hmm. year. I am not so optimistic. Yeah, for me, Japan is like a a very serious samurai, and it's it doesn't want to you know lose its dignity. It just want to fall along. Yeah, with its own dignity. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> Bushido as a country, yes, yes, it's committing its own That's seppuku. Is that the right word? Seppuku, seppuku, seppuku. That's uh, self disembowelment. Ah, yeah, or cut their own yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. full of shame. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> but anyway, Japan has its style, and I think it's interesting to watch the trend because actually the salary I got here in the past years I owe. I send it <laughs> abroad, so mm-hmm. actually I don't get much hurt in this uh, decreasing of yen. Wow, it sounds like you have a nice salary. I don't have any money to send abroad. Come on, it's we Jack need to. Jack is rich. Jack's rich. I am not. <laughs> I am not. I feel like I feel a little out of place at this table. I'm just like the starving musician. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway, it's interesting to watching the future develop. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. And then Anna, I understand you have something you want to talk about today too. Yes. Oh, but my topic is heavy. That's okay. So we're week. here for it. Okay. <laughs> because recently I just finished two two interviews, and uh, their name is uh, Li Mengzhu and Li Mingzhe. They just went back from China, because maybe around four or five years ago they was um, accused of accused of. Uh, 
of the crime of the incitement to overthrow the state in China, because like the Li Mingzhe, he, uh, um, actually he he tried to think about like what kind of thing will cause this crime, and uh maybe it's just due to he, uh, like support some of the political, uh, prisoners prisoners. Prisoners, prisoners, prisoners' family. Mm. So they just, uh, he just sometimes like give some money to to them to their family, and mm. then co- they he was accused of this crime. And for the Mongju, uh, his story is much more ridiculous. He is just in the he is just a businessman in China, mm. and when he uh go to Hainan Dao. Uh, in the a- airport, and the uh, cu- customer cu- customs customs, customs uh, is checking was checking his luggage, yeah. and found one card and s- write about the Hong Kong Gambate, just Hong Kong Jiayou, just just this, mm. and then he is he was in jail for five years. You said yeah, oh <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> They just been released and went back from China and share their story, like how ridiculous they was being <laughs> accused of this kind of crime. Yeah, yeah. and mm, I think America government recently is also uh, said, like on some American don't go to China because they have more tightens uh, regulations about this. Yeah, we we mm. can't go to China. Yeah. yeah. After all, we said on the <laughs> podcast, we would get. I think it's okay. Immediately arrested. We are, we are not so famous. <laughs> you think yeah. that, but man, China really digs deep into the internet to find. Yeah, just mm. a card and writes Hong Kong Gambate, and uh-huh. then use in jail for five years. Yeah. With, with supposedly no, did they get a trial or they have access to Chinese courts whatsoever? Yes, but uh, it just you cannot. They also have some lawyer, but their lawyer usually just told them, "Oh, you just com- commit it. You just say you commit it, and oh, then it's better. Very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> very helpful. <laughs> because if you commit it, then you can get the shorter, uh, the shorter is five years. Short, shorter is five years. Yeah. Shorter sentence. Yeah, and if you fight it, sentence. then maybe you get more, right? Yeah. So, so, so typically with the United States, if one of our citizens mm. is put in jail abroad, like for example, if somebody was put in jail in China. Then you can appeal to the embassy, and they will help you try to negotiate the situation. Depending on what you did, it depends on the circumstances. Um, what about in Taiwan? If you're arrested in China, are you able to appeal to anyone or anything? Are they going to help you? Can they put any yeah. political pressure on J- on China for your release? Political pressure, I think it's impossible. <laughs> 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 But we have some organization like founded by government. Mm. They are in. China, and they maybe will help you, but I think they are weak. They don't have their power. Yeah, in China uh, mainland, uh, and uh, I think yeah. And lots of like the uh, the means. His wife is trying to reach some like global organization to help his husband. Yeah, and lots of Taiwanese just criticize her. Like really? says, oh, maybe you just want to become a politicians, so you go through this kind of way. And if you be quiet, then China will release your husband. So, he, uh, like five years ago, she was like highly be criticized about this. 
Oh. Wow. So there's a lot of people who just want you to accept the situation. Yeah. Be quiet and hope uh-huh. China's nice to you. Yeah. And they say lots of people will reach to you and say, oh, if you can give some, like, bribe them, then they can help you to yeah, release say, your I husband. Know, I know somebody in China. Uh, I can help you. You just uh, give me some money. I can uh, help. Scams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost yeah. like that. Scams. And you don't know who to trust. Uh, yeah. Because you, the only thing you can know is that Taiwan government maybe cannot help. Mm. So, uh, so that people will like give money to those scam scammers. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But and it's also difficult for Taiwanese because currently we have like four four hundred thousands of people who are living in China mainland now. Mm. So the government only thing they can do is like, please, if you go to China, be quiet, don't get trouble. <laughs> okay, don't support. We can help you actually. <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't support the democracy activity layer. It's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, China is kind of eviscerating itself with that, isn't it? I mean, that's so many businesses are pulling out of China because they're afraid of sending their workers there. I, I yeah. think I read an article about that. Yeah, but yeah. still the market is huge. Mm. Right. So the businessmen, they are tempted to... Tempted by the, yeah, the yeah. lure of money. Yeah, and also China's expenditures on the public security is to use for the stability of the uh, society. It's already reached uh, thirty billion U.S. dollar this year, and it's compared to last year is six point four percent increase. Wow! And it's already overpassed their education's budget. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They. They they always say that the I I mean in the internet the people making Chinese people making memes about that they will complain that why our com our country donate so much so many money to Africa or foreign countries why they don't spend on us and the the other guy will answer him yeah they they spend on you for <laughs> the stable <laughs> plus the society. society they spend huge budget ah uh, yeah for the variance or something yeah. Very have you heard of the Internet Grandma Brigade? Grandma Brigade. What? It's uh, all these older women who are hired by the Chinese government to read and uh, keep an eye on comments on the Internet. Oh. So if you make some comment against the government on the Internet, maybe there'll be a grandma there telling you, you know, you should be quiet and watch <laughs> oh. what you say. Yeah. I think the single largest organization in the world in terms of human manpower is the CCP's um, headquarters and intelligence apparatus. Mm-hmm. They have literally millions of people working on watching everything that their citizens do and say. And yeah, it's scary. Mm. Mm. Yes. And they also, uh, there is also some me in uh, because there is a kind of, th- they have a law about if you uh, report the spy activities. And if your this crew is uh, really they they think is effective, they think it's uh really help for them to catch capture the spy, then they will give you uh five hundred thousand yen. No, uh, not yen. Oh, yuan. Five hundred. Uh, yeah, five hundred thousand yuan. And how much is that in dollars? Uh, <laughs> One to ten, I think. One to so fifty so $50,000. Wow. Oh. If you report on someone else, yeah. they're a spy. Yeah. 
So next time when we go to China,、uh-huh. I report you.、Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I will become really rich. I、now. tell you what, you split the money with us, and I'll agree. <laughs> <Okay> . But <laughs>、well, we need to go into jail five years. Five years. Five years. Well, well, <laughs> I, I'm not going to China. They have to catch me first, right? <laughs> yeah, I said, "Oh, this fire in Taiwan is suspicious." <laughs> Yeah, it's weird to think、We're、about. We're probably, I, I mean, sixty people listen to this. We're probably still on a list somewhere. That's how <laughs> intense they comb through the internet. It's crazy, and it's all done with AI. It's like, yeah. Would you guys feel comfortable traveling to China?、Mm, we've been to there several times.、Mm. Actually, I think it's feel normal. I mean, pe- because the media sometimes over exaggerate. The 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 situation there. When I've been there, I think it's、uh, if you are normal people, you just live a normal life. Actually, nobody will like bother bothering you. Just、uh, yeah. But、uh, if you, I think I believe if you touching some sensitive topics, it will become severe situation very soon. Yeah. Yeah, I, I follow a couple of foreigners who lived in China for about a decade. Yeah. They have you know YouTube channels and talk about their experience there. And when they first move to a new neighborhood, they have to go register with a local police department there.、Um, they have to go in and you know give all their information. And a lot of them received visits from police officers to their house about things they had done, or things they had said, or places they had been. Whoa! So compared to the lifestyle in America, it feels completely foreign to us. It's it's like it's absolutely frightening the degree to which they really are involved in your life and watching、mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I think for us, if go to China, it's maybe okay. Just don't don't do some crazy things. But I want to mention for Chinese people, if you ask them,、uh, do you feel free to go to America? They will say no, because all yeah, of their media propaganda. Is, on both yeah,、oh. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I believe the situation is very severe in mm. China. Mm. But、uh, I think some. Somehow over exaggerated by media, but we、well. have a lot of Chinese people in the United States, like millions, yeah, who have no problem, yeah, and they're not being like hounded or followed by the government or required to go and visit the police station and register themselves. Like maybe both sides are saying that, but I don't think the situation's equal. Yeah, true, true. Let's say the criticize United States is for job, and、uh, im- immigrant to United States is for for life. <laughs> <laughs> But that is something I always、uh, keep in mind: is、uh, propaganda is on both sides of every coin. Sure.、Um, yeah. So it is always important to, yeah, really think about, especially like when we talk about like war in Ukraine or something like that. Like we always get this kind of juicy, wonderful vision of oh, we're protecting democracy, and that's really a, a lot more complex than that. Yeah, I think propaganda is. Big factor, but、uh, I also agree with Joe. It's not equally. Yeah, it's not equal. It's, it's not, not equal. equal. We don't.、Yeah. Um, <laughs> we hope it's not equal. <laughs> it's not equal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like don't get me wrong. I'm sure you know the United States is、um, spying on its citizens. In fact, we know that thanks to Edward Snowden, that the NSA is collecting data on its citizens、um, without a warrant. But I just think it's different. Just practically, it's not. You know, in America, it's a more passive data collection, and it's targeted at you know. People breaking law, supposedly, or speaking out against its politicians, but yeah, in China, it definitely seems 
on another level and much more intense. Mm. Yeah, you can say some inane things about the American government and no one will bat an eye, which is something that you can appreciate, which, I mean, that's free speech. Yep. Mm. Just mostly protected in America. <laughs> Depends where you are. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> we, now we have cancel culture, which is a whole other thing. Mm. Um, so l- let me ask you a question. What has people's reaction been to this story of the release of the the two people who were jailed in China? What's Taiwanese public sentiment? People feel bad for them or they feel like you should have kept your mouth shut or... Because Taiwan is really divided. So both of the uh, the voice all have... Yeah. Uh, You're hearing both sides. Yeah, lots of people say they just deserve it because they do something, something, and then cause this. And why, why they uh, still go to China? They are too naive or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another... Uh, I think the majority still feel happy for them. Like they, because we have been fighting for like several years and uh, finally they can come back home. What's the current percentage of uh, Taiwanese who support like merging with China? I think oh. it depends on how do you decide the question. Uh. If you're asking them, are you part of China? I think 99% or 90% will say no. Hmm. And, but if you ask them, do you want independent? Maybe it will decrease uh, ah. to maybe 40 to 60%, I mm. guess, I guess. I think majority just want to like maintain the current quo. Yeah, China. yeah. I mean, uh, most people are just living their life, uh, right? We don't want to go on to war field. And also, uh, we don't want to get trouble. We want to do our business fluently. Yeah. But uh, I think for Taiwanese, uh, we, we, we know we cannot be so naive. So now more and more people, especially recent five years, are getting more against to China. Is yeah. that age related as well, do you think? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. older generations are more supportive yeah. of China and younger generations are not? Not only for age. I mean, for our parent generation, also they are super divided. Oh. <laughs> Some of them is like, I already support Taiwan independent for maybe 60 years whole <laughs> 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 my life is fighting for this and uh, for the the 70 years ago like retreat uh, together with KMT's people yeah I think their their mindset is more interesting yeah yeah because at a maybe first decade they were like we need to like like kill all the CCP members <laughs> and uh, the second decade will become maybe going to going back to mainland China is impossible mm. and maybe third decade is like maybe I need to stay in this small island for my rest of life <laughs> yeah yeah they change like decadely decadely by decade by decade mm. and uh, I think now they support KMT and KMT is like oh we are good friends with CCP now so yeah I uh if we you vote uh, you vote for us, we will have a speaking route to to Beijing. KMT is a political party, right? Yeah. K- okay. Yeah. What are the two? Uh, how, what are the main political parties in Taiwan? It's uh, KMT and DPP. DPP and is current, right? Current. Yeah. 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 Whoa. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm very. You yeah. know well, Nick. Nice. <laughs> very well studied. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's very divided mm. and. Uh, in Taiwan, it's very maybe similar with United States. Like the polit- political situation will change very quick. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We got a big election coming up in America. It's going to be uh, quite a big deciding thing. For when is it? 
I think it's next year. I'm not too in the end know. of it next year. Next year, yeah, next 2024. November 2024. Oh. That's gonna be. I was just reading this very interesting thing about AI, and like the guy's like, man, I don't know about um, like full general intelligence. I don't know how serious that's gonna be, but I'm really worried about elections and misinformation and how a country could spend very little money to destabilize another country by just having huge bot farms that are spreading disinformation. And I think we're going to see a lot of that in this next election cycle. And it's going to be really crazy. I think you truly need to invest into your <laughs> voting system. Yeah, not just the voting system, but regulation. It's the information system. The right. regulation Media. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ba- now, basically, the, the I mean, it's hands-off. There's, the, there's two main companies. There's Google and uh, Microsoft that just own the Internet, basically. Mm. And so they control every regulatory thing that happens on the internet with no oversight by the government and it's it's going to go crazy when you have other countries that are bot farming misinformation and deep fakes and you know it's, the f- it's the gonna f- be wild yeah i've been thinking about this lately like the first time it became a big issue was during the last election uh where they talked a lot about russian involvement right yep. um that they were putting out all this information and trying to push people's public opinion i don't go many places on the internet there's just a couple meme websites i go to and i'm telling you i feel like the target of uh i don't know some bad actors out there who are trying to influence my life i really feel it like i've noticed the way the posts have changed first of all i go to one that's pretty unregulated and on that one there's just tons and tons of pro-ukraine anti-russian propaganda constantly being sent to you i'm like constantly skipping past these videos like no i don't want to watch (laughs) a drone drop a bomb on a russian in a bunker like no i don't want to there's all this stuff out there and that's the obvious stuff right like obviously you know what that's about but then there's other more subtle stuff i feel like there's i feel like there's stuff on the internet trying to influence me into being racist into you know trying to push me in this direction there's so much really disgusting negative stuff out there i can just and i'm like what kind of person just posts this stuff all day i really feel like there are forces out there on the internet trying to push me in a direction or just make my life worse too Mm -hmm. like i've had to stop going to those websites because of all the negative shit that's out there it's just like i think it's horrible story after horrible story and they keep highlighting on this one website that i go to they keep highlighting all these oh the media is not going to report on this crime of a black person doing something to a white person in america because media doesn't report on that it's just a constant barrage of all this super negative really racially charged stuff and i'm just cutting cutting myself off from it because i can't do it anymore so who knows what the source of that stuff is right like we know that for sure there are governments out there spending money to push stuff through social media meant to have an effect on us and mostly the stuff just makes me depressed. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've got to cut. I've got to cut it out of my life. And that, I mean, that's another. The same guy. I can't remember who it was, but he said, "I'm also worried about the fact that one person can now do that, rather than I mean, literally one person who's savvy can have bots farming misinformation and racist stuff. Literally one person can spread so much information that we've never, uh, we've never really had." A, such a thing ever in life it's 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 insane and then there's the problem with the system itself right the algorithm is designed to drive engagement and what normally gets engagement from people is negativity right if you see something like good you're like oh that's cool you see something negative you go in there and you write a post and you get your response (laughs) to it right that's what they want they want you to 
to have a response and to be you know emotionally invested and unfortunately negativity is much more effective of that than positivity nine to one yeah so i've had to in my own mindset really in this internet era shift myself to when i see something i don't like i just scroll past it and if i ever leave a comment i only leave a comment in a positive response to something i like so I'm, I feel like in the future, humanity has got to rewire our brains, change the way that we work, stop responding to negativity. When you see something negative, just keep moving. Just keep walking. Don't stop you, and you give do it energy. You con- unconsciously? No, it's consciously. I've consciously. had to change. Yeah, sometimes I, you just be attractive by those negativities. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I click on the negative things and yeah. I read them. Oh. I never comment. I'm not big on commenting, mm. first of all, because why, why are you going to argue with strangers yeah. on the internet? But beyond that, I do notice that like when I look through my news stories in the morning, sometimes I have my algorithm set up for Taiwan stuff because I want to have stuff for the podcast. But yeah, I see those like nasty negative stories and I'm just drawn to them, right? I'm like, ooh, juicy. There's a part of my brain that does that, but I'm having to consciously rewire my brain to get away from that and move towards positivity just for my own you know, mental health. Yeah, we're fighting uh, evolutionary biology there where we're just wired nine times to one. So a positive thing is nine times. You need nine positive things to counteract one negative thing. Mm. And it's just, uh, I mean, I mean, in the past, you see a lion. That's a negative thing. You need to run from that. And now we have that same wiring in our brains. It's now getting turned against us. It's crazy. Yeah. I do have a, a topic on this. I looked up. Do you, guys, do you guys read that AI thing I sent you? Yeah, I did. Oh, I did so you guys see the article God, Ryan linked us? I was us? so mad. No, I no. just saw, I'll just, that are right. beautiful ex- girls. Oh, I can explain oh, it. Oh, I see. Okay. okay <laughs> it's not actual people. Oh. <laughs> so it's a K-pop band. Uh. I'm going to put air quotes around band. It's a K-pop thing, created thing, that's all fake. Oh. They've made four members of this, this K-pop band, and they've released like <laughs> comments by them. Uh, they've released videos of them. They dance, they rap, they sing, and it's all created by computers. It was I. I haven't been so upset about something in a long time as a aspiring musician. I was I, like, I think this you, is the end. Like, I think you don't have to worry. I think we do have to worry, though. I think, I think we really okay. do because I think. And I was just thinking uh, another uh, another thing. I saw AI um, created songs on Spotify, there's no plans to regulate those. Uh, only if they directly copy the voice of someone who's already an artist. So if you create a new um, voice, you you know, amalgamate voices, whatever, you can make as much AI music as you want and you can just flood the market with so much music and people aren't gonna really care. And so it's just gonna destroy actual musicians from doing musical work and we're destroying the most like fundamentally human thing when we start to destroy art like that i think well, i'm not i'm not sure that people don't care i like you're definitely right that a lot of people won't but there's already starting to be a reaction to this when it comes to writers a bunch of writers high profile writers got together and they're suing chat gpt um, based on the fact that their works were used to train the ais and that that work is now being used to generate the new stuff that they make so i, I think there's going to be a reaction to all this that the people who've created the content that have trained the ais need to have some form of either opting out to being used in the training data or some kind of compensation if they are used. I think it's a... Yeah, I'm not... I'm not. I mean, the people that create the art care a lot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we care. That's, you know, it's the people that consume the art. It's the people that make those artists' lives viable 
as being just an artist, I think that is going to be something that's going to be more, more, more difficult to do as you're competing against. Like an artist now um, has to now compete against a computer program that is cheaper, faster, and much more variable. Uh, you can have a computer program make, I, I saw this insane, uh, it was like a collage of like a hundred photo, a hundred um, uh, paintings all making one singular face and was made in a minute. Like you can't have an artist actually do that. So now you have to compete against that and it's destroying the most fundamentally human thing that like brings us together and connects us. And it's really, really worrying, I think. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I totally see, I see where you're coming from. And I, I've also been concerned about it, but I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about the future of it because I think it's, it's just a conversation we're starting to have now that AI is becoming so prevalent and that it's becoming better. And the thing is, is right now, it's not even to the point where it's necessarily better than an artist. It is in some ways. It can do some things that we can't, but it can't do a lot of things that we can. Like I've seen, they've done these competitions where they'll have an AI go up against a human artist and then everyone will have to vote on which one they think is better and they don't know which one the AI made and which one the human artist made. And the ones that I've seen, human artists are still winning hand over. Um, because basically the AI is still dumb in a lot of ways. There's still a lot of things it doesn't get and it can't do. And then when it comes to to music and art and all these things, I think it's going to cause us to reconsider what is special and essential about humans and start to appreciate those things more. Like in the case of this K-pop band you mentioned, um, their representative in that article you sent was talking about how uh, a human artist would be hard-pressed to do all the things that these yeah, exactly. amalgamated artists can do. For example, this... this you know, main singer woman of this band, she can rap, she can sing, she can paint, she can surf, she can dance, she can do everything. And it's not only AI generating these things. Like what he said is actually they would go and shoot video with a real human surfer and then they would superimpose her face over that person's face. So like humans are still doing the things that they're posting, but then they're wrapping it all up under one persona, right? So these eight or nine different you know, um, singers, rappers, dancers, and surfers, all of their performances are all being marketed under this one AI character, which is bizarre. It's weird. But I also think that like me personally, I'm not going to go to the, I'm not, you know, they can't, they can't have live shows. And that's the biggest thing in music right now, because, you know, with all streaming, it's hard to make money from CD sales or from, you know, um, MP3 sales. So a lot of the money in the industry is now in performances. That's where they make their bucks. And like part of what's cool about a performer is that you're blown away by what this human has accomplished. If you know an AI just generated it, for me, that loses a lot of its value. Like I'm not going to... Well, that's going to be the problem, right? Is when you have stuff that is purported to be not... And to purported to be made by a human, but it's actually not. That has happened where uh, there was someone who just um, entered an art competition and said, oh yeah, this is mine. And it wasn't his. He just created it. Um, so that's where we're going to have... He wrote the prompt, though. We're going to have a flood <laughs> of that kind of situation, and it's going to be so pervasive, and they can create so much more than actual artists can create that the the economic opportunities are going to crumble. It's created a problem already in the publishing space. Like um, I, I like to write, and I looked at a lot of these um, online uh, journals have closed their submissions because they're getting sent so many AI written stories that they don't know how to tell the difference and they can't handle the number of stories that are being sent into them. So like we're not taking any new artists, any new writers right now because of this problem. 
So I, I think it is a problem, but I also feel like, you know, we're in the early days of this and that we're going to find solutions um, as fast as the technology is created to generate AI art. Just as quickly, I think there'll be other technology that can identify it. Um, and I also think, like I said, I think it's going to cause us to really take a look at ourselves and decide what is valuable about the things that we create and kind of reevaluate um, what is unique about humans. And I think we'll get through it. I just think we're in the early days and we're going to feel a lot of pain before we get to that place. So what, what do you guys think? I think the, the one of the key points maybe is the data. I mean, now the data is kind of free. Like people don't pressure their own like like uh creative cre create product. So for example, if you use Google Map and drive from Sideshow to Hiroshima, you you got a free Google Maps and you just provide your data how you drive and how much speed you drive on the highway on the city. You just provide those data freely to Google. But maybe in the future, this kind of data it's owned by you. Right. Uh, how how much speed you drive? Uh, you stop at how many traffic light? All of those data value. Of course, one one people's data is not it's it's not so valuable. But maybe bunch of people's data that is not owned by Google. Even though Google provide you the free apps, doesn't mean you need to give them your free data. And also for the music or art, I think also if you are a creator, maybe your data your your outcome become more valuable than like normal people's outcome. So if one day you're going to uh, let your data, let some company to train their AI, maybe they need to pay you just for your out output. And uh, this, uh, I think in, in future we need this kind of regulation, like data is not free, especially for maybe some artists or it depends on how valuable your data is. <laughs> if it's just a, a route, how you drive, maybe it's cheap. But if it's a song or if it's a whole new concept, like how you sing and what accent you use and what what's the tempo you use, maybe it's become more expensive. Maybe can support an artist's life. And the artist maybe kind of sell this kind of data. You don't be the superstar, superstar in person but you let the AI become the superstar and the AI maybe need to, you know, pay you some money instead because they use your data for training them. So I think this kind of regulation need to be considered in the future. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think like optimistic about this AI. Like recently Spotify is going to providing the uh, service about the broadcast. Oh uh, yeah, they can uh direct directly help you to translate to other language. Yeah. Uh, because before we are doing this, uh, and it's time consuming job, so we didn't provide the, uh, the 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 Chinese subtitle or something. But maybe AI really can help us to do this service. So I I'm still think they are mm. still far away from the human brain. So. Uh, if you are just the normal people, the AI, I think it can help your uh, mm. life or your product. Yeah, I think yeah, still, what, what uh, Ryan says is correct. I, I'm Depends saying on, in the future. Yeah, uh, we don't, future. If we don't cut it now, mm. then no. uh, like uh, even what Jack said, um, there's only going to be so much input they need before they don't need input anymore. Mm. And then there's no new artists from there on. So that's the that's the thing is you have to think about as you start to open that floodgate, how how open do you want that to be? 
And that's what we need to get on now is thinking about uh, those kind of things in the future rather than now. Because again, there's only so much training it needs to be before it's done. And then, yeah. I mean, I think especially for music industry, I mean, uh, originally they sell CDs for, for their living. And then once, once s- stream media comes in, everyone lose their money. Oh. <laughs> L- lost, yeah. all, all those money go to the, the Spotify, this kind of company. Oh. But the music industry like develop another kind. They use the concerts. And one concert maybe can survive. Maybe 10 companies, employees leaving. And then in the future, I believe this kind of change need to do quickly again. Yeah, but even the concert is moving online as well. I mean, yeah. then you have that. You can't distinguish between that and an online. Concerts are moving mm-hmm. online. Yeah, BTS made it one of the mo- the most money I think oh. of any concert ever oh. by having an online. And my mom concert. attends their online. <laughs> oh, so I, I, heard that, I mean, yeah. that destroys the so again that that could be done by a real team of people that's actually just artists that yeah, are I just mean, an AI created yeah. K-pop Bef- band. Before the modern streaming era, greedy record companies were taking all of the money. That these bands were making there's always somebody on top taking advantage of the situation yeah um but when it comes to what you're talking about jack with with data awareness i think you're absolutely right that's what a lot of this comes down to and it's, it is increasing like mm-hmm. part of the writer's strike that's going on I, I think it was resolved um that's been going on a big problem was that they had it written into people's contracts that if you appear in this film then they can use your face and your likeness in the future so extras, whose job it is to walk around in the background and be the people who are not the focus of the scene, why would Hollywood keep hiring and paying these human beings when they can just use a computer to fill in all the people in the background, use people whose images they own from having had them in previous films and never need to hire another extra ever again, right? Oh. And that's part of the problem that they had is, no, we're not going to give you our digital image in perpetuity for you to use all throughout you know, the future and everything that you make. Um, and yeah, there's also alternative uh, websites that you can use for search engines where they actually pay you for your data. Mm. The amount is tiny. It's like <laughs> pennies, but it's moving in the right direction, right? Where people are starting to realize that their data has value and that if you're not paying for a service, you are the product, right? Yeah. Like at Facebook, you are the product and your data is what they're selling. That's where their money comes from is that the data they gather on you that they sell to. So it's like Jack said, you go there maybe to just interact and use their programs but it's really you who is the product and people are starting to realize that yeah i feel very bad for 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 facebook original i'm kind of manage my own brand right i want to show my lifestyle i want to look cool but eventually i realized no i'm just helping the (laughs) the (laughs) facebook making some content they're selling my 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 daily life as the content for them to earn money yeah feel mm. And, and we're starting to wake up to that. Like my kids, I don't yeah. let their image appear anywhere online that I can Whoa. help it. I only send it in private messages oh. because I've realized that in the future, their own image, it's going to be something they're going to want to own and control. And they're too young now to make that decision. So I can't make that decision for them. So yeah, I think it's, again, it's just something that we're having to get used to and that our awareness will increase as it becomes more prevalent. Yeah. And my philosophy is if you cannot find them, you just join them. <laughs> <laughs> so start to generate the AI music, <laughs> or, or, or just jo- join <laughs> their practice. Yeah, join, join their company. Practice. You just, just uh, search who is the best AI company in Hiroshima and join them. Yeah, join them and earn the greedy Hiroshima money. Probably doesn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> Tokyo for that. Tokyo maybe. Yeah, yeah this is a fascinating subject though. Yeah. Mm. 
anything else on that, or do you guys want to move to the history? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. Mm. Today in Chinese history, <laughs> the Opium Wars. Whoa, <laughs> we have been looking forward to it for three weeks. Ha- have you ever heard of the Opium Wars, Ryan? Yes. What do you know about them? Nothing I want to say. I'm not professional about it, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> professional? No, I'm just curious because um, a lot of what my interest in history is is um, coming from whatever starting place people have, and then hopefully there's something they can take away from it or learn or broaden their perspective or deepen their understanding. Um, and I'm curious too, because like after I've read this stuff, I'm like, okay, what did I know about the Opium Wars before I got into all this? And I just remember in school, there was one little paragraph in my history book about the Opium Wars, and it basically said, oh, you know, China didn't want to allow opium anymore, and they were attacking British merchants, and so we had these Opium Wars, and then China was open was basically kind of the gist of it. Uh-huh. And the real story is a lot more in-depth, and I think there's a reason why they don't go into more detail. How about Japan's the Black Bolt event? I mean, compared to China and Japan's, I think these two events are similar. Very similar, So yeah. which part your historical book describes? So more? in my history books, just Admiral Perry sailed to Japan and opened them for trade. Uh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's as much as I remember. Now, it may have said more, and American history classes these days are good at being a little bit more critical about American foreign policy, especially in the past, mm. not so much current. But yeah, when I was growing up, there wasn't it wasn't that critical. I wouldn't say. I see. Yeah. Um, how about you guys? Like, what what do you learn about the Opium Wars in school? Opium War for for our history history book is like a sham of the country, and uh, it starts a. Uh, Prosthetic, a hundred years, something like that. It's a big topic. Yeah. Yeah, I remember some kind of the pictures still yeah. in my mind, like uh-huh. people sitting there and then smoking, smoking the opium. And the one uh, government officer, uh, like gathering all the businessmen's the opium and then burning burn it, it together. Uh. And this is kind of the war declare, declare to British. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, interesting. It's, it's interesting how you guys are taught the subject as opposed to how we're taught it. Our um, history book is kind of stand on the China's viewpoint. Yeah, so we have this kind of shame of the country. Uh, yeah. yeah, and you guys remember last time when I was talking about kind of the decline of the imperial China? <coughs> the Opium Wars weren't like necessarily the cause of the decline, but it was like taking advantage of the symptoms. The decline had already begun, Hmm. partially because China was so successful in the past that they didn't have motivation to change. And the rest of the world was not in that situation, right? Europe was going through all these huge developments, improving their technology, um, their knowledge, their militaries. And meanwhile, China is still kind of doing things the same old way. And that's why they were able to take advantage. So we're talking about the period from around 1800 to 1860. I mean, as you guys remember, Britain had sent an emissary to China to try to negotiate trade because China was super closed at that time. The small amount of trade they did allow from the outside had huge import tariffs on it, so big taxes, and the British were trying to get around that. They realized how big of a market China was, and they wanted in. Um, So by 1820, opium was China's chief export. They were bringing in more opium than anything else. Um, One day supply of opium would cost you about half the money you made in a day. Wow. Mm. And they estimate that somewhere between 2 to 10 million opium addicts were alive in China at that time. And that includes 25% of the civil service. So these aren't like the bottom 
dregs of society. These are like normal working class people completely addicted to opium. Uh, and it got so bad, you know, the big issue was that now, you know, silver used to flow into China in a trade surplus. Now silver's flowing out of China into British coffers from all the opium that they're importing. So in 1836, the emperor commands a crackdown in Canton. And there's thousands of arrests. There's even public executions of addicts. But all of the targets are all Chinese citizens, right? They're not targeting the British because they want to kind of be careful how they do this. Uh, and then in 1839, Lin Zushu was appointed as commissioner of the, pro of the opium problem. And he wrote a letter to Queen Victoria. And it's really fascinating to read. He says, you know, in your own country, opium is illegal, punishable by death. So you know it's bad and you don't want it for your own people and yet you want it for us. So he's kind of alluding to the Christian concept of do unto others as you would have done unto you, the golden rule, right? And kind of points out that the Queen of England is not following her own religion by sending these harmful drugs to a country when she doesn't allow them in her own country. Uh, she didn't respond, I guess not surprisingly. <laughs> so uh, Lin Zushu starts going around and threatening the British traders and he did get them to, su to surrender a little bit of opium and then sign a promise pledge like, oh, we will not sell any more opium. So about 75 tons were turned over. But that's only 2% of how much opium was in China at that time. right? So then he goes and blockades a big British trading firm, puts more pressure on them. And then 1,300 tons of opium are turned over at that point. Still a small amount. But that time you talked about with him burning the opium is actually... Mm -hmm. Uh, mixed with chemicals and fed into a river. It took seven days, hundreds of laborers to destroy all this opium. And this is still a small amount compared to what's what's over there. And so at that point, the British trading firm sends a petition to the British government. They want compensation. And people in England start getting pissed off. They're like, how dare these Chinese attack our merchants and prevent our trade? Everyone ignoring the fact that it's drugs that they're, you know, illegal drugs that they're importing to the country. They're just oh, we should have freedom to trade and they're, they're, they're preventing our freedom. So a lot of um, pressure is put on the English government and they go to China and they start making demands for compensation. They say, you need to pay for all this opium you've destroyed. You need to pay money to make it up to us that you insulted our honor. Um, start making all these really strong demands. And they even say, you need to give us an island off your coast, ah. right? Where we can uh, use to conduct trade from. And the island that they were requesting is uh, Hong Kong. Oh. Right? Um, because they used to use Hong Kong as a way station coming in. So they say, yeah, for having pissed us off from destroying our opium, now you need to pay us and give us this island. And of course, um, you know, at this time, British warships are completely superior. Mm. You know, the, the, the junkets that the Chinese are sailing on are like hundreds of years old. Their coastal defenses are crumbling. They're way, way outdated and not well-maintained because China hasn't been you know, official war since 200 years ago. Some of their cannons they were using hadn't been fired in 200 years, the Ming Dynasty. That's how outdated their military was. So they kind of realized the situation. They realized they, didn't, they couldn't really resist the British. And so uh, Lin Zushu agrees. But then he goes back to see the emperor, and the emperor's like, what? Like, what did you sign up for? and uh, basically fires him and sets him up to be executed. Uh, he ended up just getting sent to live in far northern China, but um, he gets replaced by a guy named Qishan, who gets a new job whose title is now Manager of the Barbarians, is the name of his <laughs> title, right? 
and he goes and meets with the British fleet commander. He uses a different tact. He starts being really friendly to the British and showing them lots of respect. Um, but basically, he's just trying to waste time, right? Um, and then we get uh, Chishan actually not making any anything happen for the British. So then they start ratcheting up their demands. Now they want Hong Kong. They want six million silver tails. And they want trade concessions, so future promises to open China up further. Um, the Manchu emperor is enraged, and he sentences Qishan to death for treason. So this is kind of a cycle they have where they keep appointing new people to be manager of the barbarians. They keep sending them out, and they agree to all the demands, and they come back, and the emperor is furious and has them executed or sent away. So then the British commander uh, is also replaced. Sir Henry Pottinger is sent to replace uh, Elliot. But before he arrives, Elliot's like, oh, this is my last chance. He goes on an offensive. He starts destroying forts, and he actually laid siege to Canton. He traps thousands of uh, Chinese sailors uh, or Chinese soldiers, and then he ransoms them back to the government for six million tails of silver, and then he gets replaced. Uh, so after that, there's a expedition north that they make. And finally, it puts enough pressure on the Manchu emperor that he signs what the British are asking for, which is now 21 million tails of silver. Whoa. And this is, this is in the 1800s, right? So you can multiply that by you know a lot, and it's not even close to the amount that it would be today. Um, he ends up opening five different coastal cities to British trade and residency. The Chinese trade monopoly that they used to have is abolished. And then Hong Kong is permanently ceded to Britain, mm. right? So this is what you're talking about, Jack, with the 100 years of, um, how do you refer to it in China? Shame of the country? Yeah, 100 years of shame, right? Yeah. Um, on top of that, they have to, they're required to give British the most favored nation status, which means in the future, if they make promises to any other countries, they also have to give those promises to the British. Ah, uh, yes. So it's basically total capitulation. So then they get this guy named Viceroy Qi Ying, and he becomes the new barbarian handler. But um, before long, there's a group of xenophobic war hawks in the Chinese court who kick him out. And they start inciting riots against foreigners. They start trying to get the Chinese people to rise up and throw these foreign devils out of their country. And you start seeing violence against you know, foreigners in some of the port towns in China. So then uh, France, Britain, and America all kind of team up and uh, decide that they need to do something about this, that their, their citizens are being attacked in a foreign country. And they go back and start blockading Chinese harbors again and making demands. Um, the violence increases as you know, Chinese people get more and more upset about what's being done to their country. And they actually seize a British sailing vessel uh, at that point. And that fires off the second opium war, right? So kind of the first opium war was getting, those, uh, getting the government to agree to their demands, but the... Uh, uprising against the british fires off the second one and in this point the french join in they're fighting right alongside the british and in 1857 they actually seize canton uh and the fourth barbarian handler is hauled off to india in chains mm -hmm. so every person who gets this this is not a good job to have in china at this time <laughs> you do not want to be barbarian handler so with beijing capitulating they sign a new treaty which also cedes another island to the british do you guys know which island that was the small island near Taiwan. It's actually Taiwan itself. Oh, it's Taiwan? Yeah. This is when Taiwan is signed over to the barbarians. Uh, it's in the Second Opium War. And next time, what I'm interested in looking into is what was Taiwan like at that time? 
Um, what's your image of Taiwan in the early to mid 1800s? What was it like? What was what was life there like? Do you have any idea? Uh, it's very bad. Uh, but, but but I want before that I want to clarify. Does that mean Taiwan become British colony? So not necessarily a colony. They're given mm-hmm. control over it. Just open the harbor, right? More than that. Uh-huh. More than that. The British are actually similar to Hong Kong. Mm. They're given control over it, so they're allowed to use it as their trading base. Trading base. Yeah, I see. Yeah, mm. because the in our history book. We don't mention British so much. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I'm not quite familiar. And back to the the 1800s Taiwan situation, I think the life quality is super low compared to Beijing or some big city in mainland China because actually Qing dynasty, they don't want to control this island so much. They don't have interest some island of their border, of their shore. So they just control the west west part, half part of the Taiwan because many Chinese people live there. And also they have the boundary to the middle, the central uh, central mountain. They say this boundary is the uh, is for Chinese and the barbarians. They call uh, our original pe- uh, Aboriginal people barbarian as well. And <laughs> but the, the the people the Chinese people they are quite evil kind of they, they are good at ch- at trading, so they they usually use some bad, bad deal to cheat those Aboriginals' land, and stuff to like grabbing their resource. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot time, a lot time Taiwan, basically, there's no good infrastructure. Mm-hmm. There's no railway. There's no tap water. There's no every like modernized uh uh infrastructure. I remember, as you mentioned last time, like lots of the Chinese people, because the Qin Dynasty is going go went down, so lots of people escaped from China. Yeah. So lots of people's regions of people like Guangdong, Guangxi, different place. Yeah, south of the Chinese people, south side of cities. Uh, expect uh to to went went to Taiwan, and they have their own community. So they fight with each other. And uh, yeah. many na- men, so lots of men fighting with e- each other. I uh, have this kind of image. Yeah, the, the people who uh, go to Taiwan yeah. all, almost are single, uh, almost are male. Uh, so there's very few female in Taiwan. Mm. And uh, yeah, they, at that time, they, in, my, in my image, they live, uh, our ancestors live a barbarian lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of, they will have some family fight. And then if some, uh, for example, my father be killed, I need to revenge. And after I revenge, some story says that you need to cut your enemy's heart and cut it out. It's, it describes <laughs> very clearly on the, on the history book. The, for the revenge, you need to cut your enemy's heart out. So almost like <laughs> the Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Very humble beginnings uh, <laughs> for Taiwan. Right? <laughs> and how, how, like, how is this told in your nation's history? Like, how do they look back at this time? Are they, do they ever talk about it? Or do they, do they mostly consider Taiwan begins when at the end of the Chinese Civil War? Mm, I think it depends mm. on the which standpoint. In currently, if uh, Taiwan, we look ourselves as a nation, our history starts from uh, 400 years ago. The uh, Holland people come to Taiwan, and then some the Chinese people come, Japanese come, and uh, eventually 
we become our own country. And uh, if we stand on the ROC standpoint, Republic of China, I think it's it says that uh, our history starts from the uh, what the Chinese people come to Taiwan, and uh, also after we be colonized by Japan and after World War Two back to China and forever China something like that. Mm, yeah. Interesting. So I think when we grow up, the history that we learned is more like Chinese eccentric. So we are more, I think I don't have much like image about the old people. What do they really live in Taiwan? Mm. Uh, recently, have more uh, m- the movie or something was filmed the old history of Taiwan. Uh, but when we grow up, we don't have so much. Uh, image or so much. I think to be to be honest, mm. Taiwan's history is shallow. <laughs> 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 to be honest, it uh, even even many story happened in this land. Nobody recorded it, uh, right? There's no Chinese people on this land and use their the word to record all the all the story happened in this land, mm. and uh, also Japanese Japan mainland actually let forget everything about Taiwan. If now you ask some Japanese, hey, your ancestor ever colonized us? They will say, really? I didn't know that. They, I think they forget everything about Taiwan. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So to be honest, I think Taiwan's history may be shallower, shorter, but uh, now maybe we have chance to make it colorful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I want to look more into this period because that that fascinates me. Anywhere there's a dark spot in history <laughs> that no one's looked, that's where I want to go. Yeah, and Taiwan at this period sounds fascinating. Um, and it said in my in my readings that it was ceded to Britain, which basically means like a almost like a British colony. Now they're just using it as a trading base. Yeah, but legally at this point, it's on par with Hong Kong, and in addition, the Kow- Kowloon Peninsula which is the area of China that right next to Hong Kong, uh-huh. the peninsula leading up to Hong Kong, that was also given over to, to Britain. Oh. oh. Yeah, uh, as the outcome of the Second Opium War. Why British people didn't insist to occupy Taiwan? <laughs> <laughs> in that case, we don't need to learn English so hard. <laughs> <laughs> is that the case in Hong Kong? Do people speak good English there? They speak very good really? English. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe it's what's going to happen um, further on in my story. Taiwan's situation changes. But at this point, yeah, it's been ceded to the British Empire. Um, in addition, opium is made legal as a result of the outcome of this war. Mm. And, you know, there's the... Have you guys ever heard of the Summer Palace in Beijing? Summer... The Summer Palace. Palace? Yeah, it was burned to the ground by the British. Uh, but I think that happened in uh, the eight countries' uh, army. This oh. was in the Second Opium War that Second it happened. Oh. Yeah, uh-huh. they burned it to the ground, and it's all been rebuilt except for one um, palace mm. has been has been kept burnt down, so the Chinese people will never forget what yeah, was yeah. done to them by yeah, England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's the end of this week's. Um, the Manchus had to sign that treaty. They had to pay. They were asking for six million tails of silver. In the end, they made it sixteen million mm. tails of silver. The Manchus paid. So here they are at this point in history, defeated um by the british and french armies but the russians and the americans were also supporting this action so it's important to understand when it comes to the relations between these two countries 
what's happened and where where you know we don't talk about this much in America. We don't talk about how America sailing around the world with their good buddy England forcing other countries to allow us to import drugs <laughs> just to you know suck as much money out of them as we can. It's not part of the American story that we tell, but it happened. So I think it's important that we know about it. And then that way, at least when you hear you meet someone maybe from China who's not a big fan of America, maybe you understand why this isn't that long ago. You know, this is a couple hundred years ago, which in the history of China is a very short time. So I think it's important to have some understanding of, you know, what's actually happened. You have potential to be very popular YouTuber in China. <laughs> They'd love white people talking about this. <laughs> well, they, they wouldn't love me because I have a pretty balanced view. I mean,、uh, I haven't even. I spent the last episode talking about all the things the Chinese dynasty was doing wrong,、uh, yeah. how they were failing their country.、Okay. So this episode have potential. Okay, this one, good, good. <laughs> Forget that part. <laughs> this was it was totally wrong and evil and messed、mm. up what happened,、um, but. You know that's the story of Britain in the 1800s. It's not only China. You know, all over the world, countries were being colonized and taken advantage of by the British. And it wasn't until recently that some of these countries actually regained control over their territories. You know,、mm. when when did Hong Kong go back to China? Was that 1995? Yeah, 95. I mean,、mm. that's real recent, right? Yeah. So this history is still with us today,、um, and I think it's important that we know about it. Yep. Cool. Anything else on the subject? Ryan, what do you think about that second opium war? Pretty crazy, huh? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> But my, you can hear my excitement for history. <laughs> <laughs> But I still have another viewpoint about、oh, okay. the shame of the country. I think Chin- Chinese already use this excuse for too long.、Mm. I mean, if you look at the civil war in China, actually Chinese people kill the most Chinese people in the in the history. And also, if you look at the Cultural Revolution, you look at how how many shitty things Chinese people do, and like lagging the whole society, the whole country, uh, uh, develop. I think we cannot keep blaming the you know the British or the 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 foreign countries. It already be already been like two hundred years ago, and within this seventy or even a hundred years. Chinese country controlled by Chinese people, and look how many progress you've made. No, you just killing people and building the bad uh social uh system, and you didn't prove you are better. You didn't prove you are you are well managed. You are capable to well manage your own country. So I I mean it it's it's an excuse and using too long. For,、mm. yeah. yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, just because something happened in the past doesn't mean you have to keep living it in the future, right? At some point, you have to move on. Yeah.、Um, but yeah, we we tell ourselves stories about our countries. You know, we have the American story, and it's all about George Washington, and you know, <laughs> but we don't talk much about the French who actually won that war for us, if not for the French. <laughs> you know, these things often don't get talked about, and we just create stories. And if the story of China is that they've been held down by the evil barbarians for hundreds of years, <laughs> and that you know they're they're not able to be successful because of the way they're treated by Western powers,、um, it kind of takes power away from their own people and puts it in the hand of somebody else. And it's、mm-hmm. it's a dangerous story to tell people,、yep. you know. But yeah, good point, Jack. All right, cool. Well, we'll end it there. I'm going to dig more into China and in the early.、Uh, I mean, sorry, Taiwan in the early 1800s. I want to know more about what it was like there. And yeah, I'll bring that to you guys next time. Our ancestors are wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs>
All right. Well, thanks, guys. It was fun. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.